I want to talk to you. I, I have made a, I've made a statement a few uh, times, and, and I want to clarify it. I want to talk today uh, about Christ our Savior. I have mentioned this, that, that accepting Christ as your personal Savior uh, will probably send more people to hell than any other comment or I- any other statement. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm glad you've asked. You really haven't asked, but I really want to. See, because the thing is, anything, anything that you do for Christ needs to be planned out. There is prep time required. Uh, if you're gonna, if you're gonna cook, if you're gonna cook something, unless you've memorized the recipe, you're you're going to look at a recipe. And every recipe out there says it has two phases: prep time and cooking time. Have you ever noticed that? And, and you say, well, I don't cook. I, well, I like to cook. It's therapy. And, and if it's something I like, I make it really spicy. That way nobody else eats it and I get to keep it myself. Um, but, but cooking, or, or if, you're, if you're painting a house. I don't mind painting. I love painting. I, I love spray rigs where you just spray it all. You know what I don't like? Is the scraping and the prep work. That is so much work. You ever wonder why, why the entrance jobs are, are, are the prep work? You know, it's, it's because it is a lot of work. And to be honest, if you don't do the prep right, the paint will not last. You say, how do you know that? Experience. I've seen paint was starting to peel a little bit, and I thought, I'll just paint right over this bad boy. And within a couple of days, that paint that was peeling cracks off, and there's the wood. The prep time is essential. If you're, I, I've discovered that if you're painting a car, that you have to do the same thing. You have to sand it, you have to prep it, you have to bond it, you have to sand it, you have to bond it again, you have to sand it again, then you have to primer it, then you have to sand it, then you have to paint it, then you have to sand it, then you have to sand it, and, and it's just unbelievable so when you see these cars they have these great paint jobs there's a lot of work that went into that it's not just getting a spray rig and painting a car and it's the same way with when we receive Christ you just can't go up and say oh I'm going to receive Christ as my savior especially if you don't know what it takes to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. The writer of Hebrews was talking about, about this topic. And if you'd go to Hebrews 9.22, and in a moment uh, we're going to turn, if you have a Bible, and I know you do, to Luke chapter 15. Uh, but it, the writer of Hebrews says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood now I don't know about you but in the physical world if you're cooking or preparing something and you get blood on the countertop or you get blood you have to clean that up but in the spiritual realm in the realm of, of removing sin and the stain of sin it requires blood and he says and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness see when Christ was on this earth and he walked this earth for 33 and a half years and 
and, and lived a perfect life. And, and, and in the writer of Hebrews also says, uh, sacrifice an offering you didn't want, but a body you have prepared me. Christ knew that he was a sacrifice for sin, that, that humanity's sin, his, his disobedience to God could not be reconciled, could not be cleansed, could not be pardoned, could not be forgiven unless there is a perfect substitute for us. And the only way to have a perfect substitute for humanity was to have a perfect human. And the only way to have a perfect human was not to have the nature of Adam, but to have the very nature of God. And Christ came and lived a perfect, sinless life. And when he died on the cross, it wasn't a happenstance. It wasn't something that just happened. It was intentional. There was prep work that went into that. It was determined well before Christ was ever born that Humanity is going to need a sacrifice. And when Christ came, in Philippians 2, Paul said, we need to have the same attitude to him for, for being in the form of God. He didn't consider it to be robbery with God, but made himself, made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant. See, he was intentional. The blood that was shed on the cross was intentional, it was purposeful, it was meaningful, it was thought out, it was well organized, it wasn't just something that happened. Our justification, our being made right in the eyes of God, being made right in the eyes of the law required that, that we have an atonement for our sins and Christ became our atonement. We are justified in Christ when, when we have re truly received him as our Lord and Savior. His substitution, his penalty for sin is, is substituted for ours and we are considered right and holy and just and perfect and cleansed of what he did and he didn't do it just oh I think I think I'll go right on down there and save them like like you're going like you're driving down the road and you see that sign that says the world's biggest ball of yarn and you say whoo got to go see that yes I am one of those he, the prep work for being justified by the blood of Christ needs to be complete and thorough. That's why I say there's no get-out-of-hell-free card. You can't walk up and just say, oh, yeah, I accept Christ as my personal Savior. There, there is some intentionality that has to be on our part, some prep work that has to be done in our heart, in our mind, that, 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 we, uh, that we can receive Christ. And you say, well, I thought that you didn't do anything, that Christ paid it all. He paid the penalty for our sin, but there is a way that we need to approach him. And in, in uh, Luke 15, Jesus gives us an amazing story on how to approach God. It's the story of the prodigal son. And you say, well, uh, we've read that many, many times. And, I, and I've read it many times as well. And, but I want, I want to look at it 
for a moment, if you would, there's some Bibles in front of you, or if you have your phone, great thing about having uh, the Bible on your phone, you can be playing a video game and nobody would ever know. This is what Jesus said in, math, in, in Levitic, or Luke 15, verse 11. He said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth to, in wild living. Just wasted everything. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the land, in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, you remember what the law said about uh, swine in regards to Jewish people. They do not eat pork. And yes, that includes bacon. I read a, 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 a statement the other day that said, every time you eat a piece of bacon, it takes nine minutes off your life. I should have died in 1715. So, so here's this man, and he's out. He's out feeding pigs, feeding animals that are considered unclean. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. He wanted to eat the pig food because nobody gave him anything. And that, just a side note, if you are, you know, there's, when you're a Christian and you're serving the Lord and, 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 and the goodness of God, people want what you have until you don't have it. And then they will discard you because that's just the way the, this world is. And look what the very first thing he, he says after that. When he came to his senses, when he finally got tired uh, of, of feeding pigs, feeding swine, being around that which was considered uh, filthy and, and dirty, and, and he was wanting to eat what they were eating, he finally came to his senses and he realized his need. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes you, you look at people and say, where is the bottom that they're going to hit? And you think, well, this is surely the bottom, but no, they keep on going farther. And you say, well, that has to be the bottom, but no, they keep going farther and farther. Have you ever met somebody you wondered, how far is the bottom for them? But sooner or later, if you're going to receive Christ, you have to come to your senses and realize your need. So understand that everything in this life is senseless. And you say, but there's some good things in this life. Yes, family, friends, but everything that this life can afford you, when it comes to you in eternity, you have to get to the place in your heart and your life that you realize nothing that I can gain in this world makes a difference I need a Savior. Until you get to the place that you are willing to let everything go for Christ, 
for him pardoning you, for him forgiving you, you haven't reached your bottom uh, of, of your life yet. But when you finally get to that place, and some people get there sooner, some people get there later, but it doesn't matter uh, how long it takes you, if you're going to receive Christ as your personal Savior, the very first thing you have to do is come to your senses and realize, I can't save myself. The world can't save me. My thoughts can't save me. My wealth can't save me. Nothing can save me apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. When you get to that point, oh, you're on the journey. When you get to that point, Many, many really, truly don't come to Christ because they still value some of the things that this life has to offer, thinking, well, I'd kind of want to have Christ, but I want to do this too. You have to get to the place that you come to your senses, that you realize that your mental faculties are in agreement with your, the longing in your heart that only Christ can redeem me. When you get there, when you get there, then you're on the way. Look what he goes on to say. He says, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare, and I'm starving to death? He said, I will set out and go back to my father. I love that. Not only did he come to him senses, but he prepared his attitude. He made a plan of action. I need Jesus. I'm going to him. Notice he didn't say, I need the Father. I sure wish he'd come to me. But he said, I'm going back because I know where he is. The amazing thing about God, he doesn't move. Where you left him is where you're going to find him. He will, he will do everything he can to get you to that place but we have to come to our senses and we have to make the plan that I will go back to him and you have to have that desire to return to him and to be honest that's humbling I loved a lot of some of the things we used to do in church there's some of the things we used to do in church that I just look at now and shake my hand, head some of, the, some of the things that we used to do in churches on Sunday morning after Sunday school and everything while the pastor was getting ready to get up and preach. Remember the lady that would come up and change all the numbers on the, on the, the attendance today and last year? And yes, last week you're thinking, oh, I hope we beat last week. You know, and uh, I'm so glad we don't do that. We used to have penny marches. We'd have a little plastic white church with a steeple, and it would come up there, and all the kids would come up and put their pennies in it. Glad we don't do that. We used to have altars, these benches. They were kind of ugly. Well, it depends on how you looked at them. And they were designed so people that had come to their senses and realized, I need Christ would make a plan of action that when they, they gave an invitation that they would rise from their seat and make a, a pilgrimage down to the front as a way of saying, I need Jesus. It was declaring to anybody and everybody that was there, they did not care. I think we kind of miss a little bit of that. 
of, of I'm all in. I, I'm ready to, to, to make a plan of action. I'm going back to where, to where God is, and I'm going back to Him. See, we know the way. We know the way to God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Godly sorrow. When you come to your senses and you realize that you need Jesus, and then you realize that all the things that you've done in your life have brought pain and suffering to Him because He loves you so much, it will break your heart. When you truly realize that your sinful life has, has broken the relationship between you and God, it'll break your heart. You see, Christ paid it all. And when you look at him on the cross and you realize that he did that for me, you feel ashamed at some of the things that you've thought, that you've said, that you've done, that you've committed. Even to this day, and, and, and I know that I know what the scripture says, that when, when the Lord forgives you, he casts it as far as the east is from the west. He doesn't remember him anymore. He casts it into the bottom of the sea. Your sins are gone. But how many are like me that every once in a while something that really stupid that you did B.C. before Christ or maybe after Christ that you did something and it comes to your mind and the very first thing you say is, oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I am so, so sorry. It's godly sorrow. It leads to repentance. It leads to that place that, God, I'm so sorry that I offended you, that I broke the, 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 the law of, of God that was, is intended to bring me closer to you. And, and, and I know that you died for me. When you get to that place and you understand that it's the godly sorrow that breaks our heart. Keep in mind, you, you, we're not, you'll start seeking him, but it, it's him that we need to seek and not the things that remind us of him. It's not, it's not the, the New Testament church that we need to seek. We don't need to go back and say, oh, if, if we were just like the New Testament church, or it's not the old style of music, or it's not church as it was. It's not because church is going to change, but the message doesn't change. And when you get to the place, it's not about going back to some of the things you knew as a child. It's going back to him and not those things. We have a tendency to want to go back to the familiar songs that we grew up with or, or, or the familiar environment that, that we were surrounded ourselves with when we were younger or perhaps when we knew the, the Lord in some measure. But when we get to the, to the place where we come to our senses and we have godly sorrow, it's not going back to anything other than going to God. It's going to Him. You say, well church doesn't look the same it's not going to and all the great and wonderful songs we sing now in 30 years nobody's going to be singing them except for us you know you know and you sit there in church think oh man I wish we could sing shout to the Lord 
those things change. Nothing wrong with them, nothing wrong, you know. Change is change. But God does not change, and you're not going after the things that, that are here today and gone tomorrow. You're going after, you're seeking after, you're pursuing God. And in repentance, you're not going after the familiar, you're going after a relationship with God because true repentance requires to leave our current lifestyle and pursue God. See, repentance simply means a change of thought, change of mind, change of action, change of conduct, change of character, change. It just means change. It means I'm going this way, whoa, I'm going to go this way. I'm heading out on my own, but now I'm going back toward God. Repentance doesn't mean that you just, oh, I think that God is right. It means that I am going to do whatever, I'm going to go whatever, I'm going to say whatever, I'm going to be whoever that God wants me to be. I am tired of living life for myself. I am following him because I have come to my senses. My heart is broken because I have, that I have offended God and I want to make things right. The next thing that you do, and I want to I look at this as soon as I find that. There it is. He said, he said I want to go to him and I want to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Confess your sins. Confessing to a person may help you feel better, but it's not going to give you forgiveness. Because forgiveness only comes through Christ. There's been many times in my life I've confessed things to people and it makes your heart feel better because you're not feeling like you have a secret. But confessing to somebody else doesn't resolve the issue. If you want to eradicate the sin, if you want to get it out of your life, you just need to go to God and say, Lord, here's what I've done. And you say, do you have to remember everything? Well, that's kind of impossible, isn't it? But when you go to him and say, God, I, I have lived a life that hasn't been pleasing to you. When you realize your need for a Savior and you realize that he is holy and you're going to come to him in his terms and you just begin to confess, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you. When you get to that place, then you begin to confess. Understand what you have done, because here's what a true apology, what, you, what you're saying is, Lord, I'm so sorry. It's a, an apology, and, and a true apology has three components to it. Here's what I did, here's why it was wrong, and here's how I'm going to fix it. So when you, when you hit somebody when you're a kid, you say, well, I'm sorry. Now let's go play. That's not an apology. That's a get out of a spanking free card. But a true apology says, here's what I did. Here's why it's wrong. And here's what I'm going to do about it. And when you come to Christ and you say, Lord, I have done what is wrong. And this is why because it goes against your law, your will, and your way. And here's what I'm going to do about it. 
I am going to look to you for salvation. I am looking to you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to bring pardon and restoration. When we do that, when we confess to God, then you go on and and then you realize your unworthiness. Allow your heart to be fertile soil. Jeremiah says it this way, break up the fallow ground of your heart. Take it and, and, and take all the chunks that are in your heart, anything that you, that you think you're trying to hold on to, break it up. Make your heart pliable for the presence of God to grow. Remove anything from your life and allow God to have preeminence. My friends, if that's why... You say, well, why do, why do some people have, have forgiveness and they, or repent and they do great and others don't? I think some plant in their lives where they haven't dedicated it to God. And when, you, when you're not fully dedicated to God, the Word of God will not grow. You have to have a heart that is, that is fertile soil. Fertile soil comes through understanding that you have come to your senses, that you need a Savior, that you go to God. You're not going to somebody else or something else. You're going directly to Him. And, and you begin to confess, and you ask the Lord to forgive you, and you trust in Him. And then here's the amazing thing. You allow the grace of God to have its full effect in your life. If you really want to receive Christ as your personal Savior, you need to understand that you can't do it without Him, that you're sick and tired of this world, it has nothing to offer, that you're going to go to Him and talk to Him, and you're going to allow your heart to be broken for the things that you have done and how you've offended Him, and then you're going to receive His forgiveness and know for a a fact with a surety that He has pardoned and cleansed and made you whole. You see, there's a big difference in saying, oh, I received Christ as my personal Savior and receiving Christ as your personal Savior. How many today have made Christ their Lord and Savior? Says Christ will not turn anybody away. Christ never turns anybody away. We always say that this is a a personal commitment between you and God, and it's true because I can't read your mind, I can't read your heart. Sometimes when you're talking to people, you've got a little inclination that something's going on, but in the heart of hearts, there's only only one entity, one, one being that really truly knows the heart of man. That's God. He knows not only your actions, but your motives. And he knows them better than you know yourself. And he is willing and able to give pardon. He died on a cross and rose again so that those that realize this world has nothing for me, I want to live and rule and reign with Christ 
And, and though I cannot do it on my own, I know that God lives and he rewards those that seek him and I am going to pursue him with everything in me and when I get in connection with God, I'm going to let him know, God, I have, I have wronged you, I have wronged heaven, but Lord, I just want forgiveness and when you get to that place God's going to say here here's a bucket of forgiveness and here's another bucket of forgiveness and here's another bucket of forgiveness and and when you're all cleansed hey here's my spirit to give life and hope that's receiving Christ as your personal savior I'm going to ask our praise team if they would come back I love summertime I love the fact that people can go on vacation. I get jealous every once in a while where they're going. And I have to repent. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful. Are you thankful that the Lord allows us to receive him as our personal Savior? Would you stand with me? Receive Christ as your personal Savior. I like the word, and there's one word that I haven't used in there. Personal Savior. Personal. Don't you love that? Personal Savior. It's like when you have children, you have personal slaves. Or you become a personal slave personal savior means he's yours not not just for everybody else but for you and here's the reason why that phrase says accept christ as not just your savior but as your personal savior because there is going to be a day that you will stand before the lord and those that have him as lord and savior he's going to stand there and say well done thou good and faithful servant and give you rewards and you know what's so cool about that the rewards are, it's a setup deal. The Lord puts these great opportunities in our lives and encourages us to, to act on them. He gives us the strength to do it. And then when he's doing all the work, then he tells us, hey, you did a good job. It, it's really amazing all the things that the Lord is doing for his church, his people. But you will stand, not as a group, but there will be a time you will stand before the Lord and you're going to look in his face and he's going to look in yours. You ever have one of those conversations? It doesn't matter how many other people are around, but you're having a conversation with one person and your eyes connect and you're focused on that conversation. Every single one of us are going to stand before Christ in one of two places before the the judgment seat of Christ the bema seat to receive a reward or the great white throne judgment where you will have every single action attitude and word carefully and meticulously brought out between you and God I don't know about you I'm not going that one. I want the Lord to be my personal Savior. 
right now, right here, because I know I can't earn it, and I can't do anything about it. But when, but when I see him, and he's looking at me, I want to look back at him, and I want to see him smiling and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And it all comes through receiving Christ as your personal Savior. If you're here today and you have never known the Lord, either here or watching online, we say it's just as easy as this, but in reality, it's about being truthful with yourself and truthful with God and having a right connection with Him. If you've never done that, I would, I would implore you right now, right where you're at, you say, well, I don't have... 30 days or 30 minutes it doesn't take you that long to have a broken heart and to ask him to come in and invite him and trust in him maybe you're here today and you've known the Lord for many years but sometimes we get little things in our lives you ever notice that I hate that stuff don't you good side note when the Lord comes back we're not going to have to deal with that anymore but if you're wrestling something if there's something in this world that's caught your eye it's caught your fancy and you're, and you're, and you're kind of like elevating it in your life above God it's just as easy to say God here it is and be honest with him and walk away from it and allow the grace of God do you know what the grace of God is? It's receiving from him something we did not deserve. And he is going to pour out his blessing on you. Would you pray with me?